The story today happens around Lake Galilee, after Jesus had fed about 5,000 people with a small packed lunch a young boy had, bread and fish. Pretty amazing, the serving bowl never seemed (coughs) to be empty. And as a result, people began getting very interested in Jesus, realizing he was something else. So you can imagine they flocked to him a bit like they would a celebrity. But Jesus managed to dodge the crowd. Then the crowd began hunting for him all over the side of the lake that they were on and the disciples, but without success. So let's take up the reading in John chapter 6. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, Well, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you were to draw a timeline of the book of John, the line wouldn't be straight. It would look something like like maybe what a preschooler would draw if you gave him a sharpie and turned him loose on a vacant wall. I have some experience with that in my life. John is not concerned with telling the story of Jesus in a linear fashion. He roams around. He doubles back. He puts Jesus in geographical places that are nearly impossible to explain as they relate to each other. And with a free hand, he scribbles his account of the gospel with a burning ambition. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's John's ambition. Not to give a linear account of Jesus' life, but to take these different events of Jesus' life and to showcase them. The order to John is secondary. The message is primary. So today, the lectionary reading is from John chapter 6. It is uh, easily in the first quarter of John's account, but it is already late in Jesus' ministry. 
In fact, by the time we get to John chapter 6, if you were to look at the other three Gospels and take a careful reading of it, we are already in the last six months, if not the last three months, of Jesus' life. And John 6 is a crucial turning point in the story of Jesus. All this time, he's been doing his thing all over Galilee, healing the sick, performing exorcisms, preaching with confrontational power, occasionally raising the dead. And here, in John chapter 6, he faces this crowd who sort of have this what-have-you-done-for-me-lately attitude. What can you do? They ask him. And what makes this chapter so crucial is that his friend, his cousin, his mentor, at one time his teacher, John the Baptist, has been arrested and executed. And so what Jesus does is retreat out of Galilee for the first time. And he crosses over to the other side of the Galilee for a little while. And the reason that he does that is that Galilee is Herod's territory. And if Herod will arrest and kill John the Baptist who initiated and proclaimed Jesus' ministry, then Herod just might come for you. And so he crosses over to get out of Herod's territory for a little while. Maybe a contemporary example right now. There are massive protests that continue in Hong Kong against the Chinese government. Hundreds of thousands of people have been in the streets. Why? Well, Hong Kong was a British colony until 1997. And because of that, it enjoyed a great deal of freedom and a great deal of autonomy. Well, what happened in 1997? It was given back to the Chinese. Why? Well, the British lease had expired, and I am not making that up. They signed a deal in the late 1800s and said, we will lease Hong Kong from China for the next hundred years. And when it expires, we'll give it back to you. Well, guess what happened in that 100-year period? The British Empire collapses, and the Chinese people have their glorious communist revolution. But the contract still stands. And so they hand it back in in 1997 with a 50-year window that they were guaranteed the rights under British rule for 50 years. Lord knows what's going to happen in 2047 when that 50-year period ends. We're already seeing some of it now. They are clinging to their rights as the Chinese government cracks down. These two young men right here are leaders in the student movement over there right now, and one of these, the young man in the white shirt, was beaten severely on national television recently. President Xi has warned Hong Kong, and I quote, if these protests continue and there is a move to separate Hong Kong from China, then such an effort will end with bodies smashed and bones ground into the dust. It's a totalitarian state. Opposition to the one party or the one leader is not tolerated. Individual and private life is intruded upon. Power is centralized in one person or a small group of people. And with that as the background, what would happen if resistance leaders like these two young men that you saw, Joshua Wong and Alex Chow, 
who have guided the student protest, what would happen if they were suddenly arrested and executed? The other student leaders would probably get out of Hong Kong about as quickly as possible to regroup and figure out what to do next. Now you have the context for John chapter 6. John the Baptist is arrested. John the Baptist is executed. He's one of the men of the people that was always banging on about the kingdom of God and always confronting the powers of the day. He's now been removed. Jesus is the next guy with a target on his back. Jesus has to withdraw. And make no mistake about it, that Jesus lived in a totalitarian time. He lived under a totalitarian regime. Two big guys on the block during Jesus' life. One was a guy named Herod. And he was Herod Jr., Big Herod, Herod the Great, was the one who tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a baby. Jesus, again, his family had to escape to get away from him. He dies. Jesus comes on back home to Galilee. And who should rise to power but Herod's son? And he's as bad as his father. He is paranoid. He is crazy. He is suspicious. He'll just have entire town slaughtered if he's... Saw so fit. He's like a little mafia boss that runs his corner. But the big kingpin was in Rome, Caesar. And whatever Caesar said went. There was no check against that. Nothing. And while we are up to our eyeballs with egotistical leaders in the world today, this leader claimed to be God's representative on earth. How would you like that? That to go against Caesar was to go against God. So when you have somebody like Jesus come along and say, my kingdom is not of this world, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus is an immediate threat to the powers that be. What got John the Baptist killed was that he was a threat to the powers that be. Because that's the thing about egotistical and tyrannical governments, they cannot tolerate criticism. And they have to get rid of them. And so John the Baptist is rubbed out, and now Jesus just could be next. And they will not let him go for long. And what ultimately got Jesus killed was not that he was preaching about heaven. What got Jesus killed was not him saying, believe in me and you'll have life. What got Jesus killed is when he showed up in Jerusalem on that Passion Week and he pointed at the powers and he pointed at the temple and he said, you're all corrupt and it's all coming down. You've all turned your back on God. You've all forsaken the roots of who you really are. And that is when the authority said, this guy has got to go. Now, we have taken Jesus and we have transformed him into less than the radical that he was. Let there be no mistake about it, Jesus was a radical. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was a troublemaker. Jesus stirred the pot. Jesus poked the bear. Jesus did all the, whatever example you want to come up with, he was always, always pushing back against the powers that be. Jesus was a fire starter. One of the great 
parables of the Anthony DeMello tells, and I love, and he applies it to Jesus' life. He said, once upon a time, there was this magic fire maker, a fire starter, and he traveled way up into the north where it was cold and dark and, and, and bitter, and he taught a village there how to make fire. And all the villagers came to this man. They were enthused with him. It was amazing. He was changing their life. They could stay warm. They could cook their food. They could keep predators away with this magic thing called fire. And the leaders of this village realized that this guy is taking all our people from us. And so they poisoned him. And then the people in the village said, You did this to the man that we loved and the man that we followed. And the leaders came up with a clever idea. You know what they did? They gathered all of the fire maker's words and they put them in a book. And they built a a building to honor the dead fire maker. And they took all of his tools that he had used to make fire and they put them in a magic case for people to come and see. And then they started saying things like, you're right, we respect the fire maker. So read his words, come look at his tools, come to his temple. Now, if you don't do that, you're going to get in real trouble. And Anthony DeMello says, they did all of these things to revere the fire maker, but in the end, everybody forgot how to make the fire. That's what we do to Jesus. Oh, yeah, we'll worship him and respect him and venerate him. Ask him for something when we need him. Pull him out like a lucky's, lucky rabbit's foot. A talisman that we rub as a charm. Maybe he'll do something for us. But where is the fire? Where is that revolutionary spirit that burned in that man and burned in Galilee and God willing will burn in our hearts? We tend to take Jesus and make him safe. Have you noticed that? We keep Jesus safe. I don't know how it happened. This radical first century preacher, and now he's in a nice pinstripe suit and speaks at Rotarian meetings and votes with the young Republicans and, and just, what happened? Jesus rejected all of that. Because what you have in this text today is this crowd comes to Jesus, and you know what they want out of Jesus? They want Jesus to be their hero. They want Jesus to fill their bellies. They want Jesus to craft His agenda to theirs. And what a challenge to say to the Lord of the universe, show us what you can do. The arrogance of such a thing. What have you done for us lately? Well, I just fed your bellies two days ago. And Jesus says to them, the only reason you're here now is because your bellies are full. You follow me because of what you think I can do for you. You follow me because you think of what I might give you. Tell me, does human nature change? How many people say, oh, I'm all about Jesus, so long as a cross isn't involved? I'm all about Jesus so long as it doesn't ruffle any feathers. I'm all about Jesus so long as I can keep pursuing my ambitions and do what I want to do. I'm all about the glory, but we're not a whole lot about the crucifixion, are we? Jesus rejects all of this. Look at verses 28 through 30. This is the crux of it. 
We want to perform God's works too. Translation, we want power. We want to be in charge. We want this thing that you've got. What should we do? Jesus told them, I love this verse. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's a liberating verse. I I could, I won't, but I could. What? Believe in the one. What a a liberating thing. You you realize I'm going to go ahead and chase this rabbit. Do you realize the amount of labor and backbreaking work that religion has put on people's backs over the centuries? You got to do this, you got to do that, you got to dress like this, you got to look like that, you got to walk like this, you got to talk like this. And and name it, Baptist, Catholics, Methodists, they're all guilty. Other religions are guilty. Just keep piling it on. Jesus said once to the religious leaders of his own day, you put heavy burdens on the people's backs and then won't lift a finger to help them carry them. Nothing's changed about human nature all, all these years. And what does Jesus say? Here's the work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's like cutting the burden loose. Cutting the chains loose. You be you. Be free. Live. Follow Christ. Don't worry about all of this other stuff that is human created and man made. Can I get an amen out of that one? And they answered. Okay, we'll want to believe. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Isn't that the question? What can you do? Translation, what can you do for me? You know why Christianity is in such a dismal state in the West today? Because we have turned somehow the faith of Christ into a self-serving vending machine. Where faith is all about what we can get out of it, rather than being called to act in sacrificial love and service to the world. It's all about what Jesus is doing for me. My beach house, my Bentley, my 401k. I got all this because God's blessed me. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. But it's selfishness extraordinaire to think that we would call the Christ of the world to answer to our agendas and to do for us what we want him to do. You do not keep Jesus in a box and pull him out when you think you need him. Jesus did not come here to prop up our agendas. Jesus came to take over our hearts, our lives. And you can settle for the, for the food in your belly if you want, but Jesus says that will never stay with you. And we live in a world that's just chasing the bread and chasing the crumbs. What can you do for me? Show me what you can do. And Jesus has already done it. That's the point of this text. It's all about power. It's all about people wanting to get in on power. And it's all about people wanting to make Jesus the same kind of leader that they were already sick of. But we'll do it better this time. 
It'll work this time. You're the right person for this job. We just had the wrong guys before. Wrong. The only thing that works is surrender to the sacrificial love of Christ. He did it a different way. And he calls us to do the same. Real quick. It's really interesting how this story about bread comes up in John 6 because it's one of the first stories we read about Jesus. All right, Bible, Bible lesson time. Are you still awake? Jesus goes down to the River Jordan, is baptized by John the Baptist, his friend, his mentor. There he is again, John the Baptist always showing up. He gets baptized by John. Do you know what happens next? Jesus goes into the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? The temptations, the devil shows up. Doesn't the devil always show up when you're alone in the wilderness? And the first thing he invites Jesus to do is what? Does anybody know? Turn these stones into what? Bread. You know what what the devil was saying to Jesus? Show us. Huh. Huh. Haven't we heard this before? Show me what you can do. And Jesus rebukes that, and Jesus resists that. Why? What's so wrong about making a few little easy-bake oven loaves out here in the, in the wilderness? What would be so wrong with that? You know what was wrong about it? The devil was inviting Jesus to become an economic welfare king. You feed all these hungry people? They'll follow you anywhere. That's what he was saying. You fill their bellies, you'll have pitchforks and torches and people ready to storm the gates of whatever fortress you want to attack. Because that's how it works. Economics, money, power. We'll use that to get our way. We'll use that to impose our will. And the reason that Jesus rejects that, the reason that Jesus rejects the religious temptation, the reason that Jesus wouldn't bow down and worship on the mountain is because Jesus knew that if you pick up the tools of this world to do God's work, you've already lost the battle. Every time. Because the means cannot justify the end, no matter what, how noble the goal will be. That's what Jesus was rejecting. This world uses one way of achieving power and making impact. My way is different. My way is a suffering way. It is the way of the cross. It is the way of surrender. It is the way of sacrifice. It is not the way of seizing power and grasping and imposing my will or manipulation or force. It is surrender. And anyone who will follow Jesus is called to that same path. To put away our ambitions. To put away our what-have-you-done-for-me-lately ideas. And surrender. Last little story, there was a a king who had no children. And he decided that he was going to pick his heir among the children of his kingdom. And so he invited a thousand children to his palace, the thousand best and brightest kids in the entire land. And they all came into the assembly, and he said, one of you will be the next king or queen of of this kingdom when I pass. So here's the test. And he gave them all the seed. Take this seed home and plant it in a bucket. Come back in a year, and I'll make my decision over who is worthy enough to be king or queen. They all leave. 
One little boy in particular planted his seed in this little pot. He watered it. He fertilized it. He set it in the sun. Nothing. Nothing. Meanwhile, everybody else, their trees are growing. It's turning into bushes and flowers and, and trees. and it's, it's like the botanical gardens. They all come by and laugh at him because his seed won't grow. The year passes. They all go back to the palace. They all bring in all these beautiful flowers and trees that have been growing in these pots. There's this one little boy. Nothing but dirt. The king looks out over all of them. Calls a little boy with just the pot of dirt forward. And he says this. A year ago I gave you all a seed to see who was worthy to become the next heir of my kingdom. The seeds I gave you had been boiled in water and poisoned. They were not supposed to grow at all. So I know that all of you have cheated. Except this one little boy who watered and fed and cultivated and did it with integrity. He is the only one worthy to inherit the throne. Let it be with all of us that no matter what the results are, and if we can't bend the arc of the universe in our direction, so what? Do what you do because it is right and good and honors Christ.